Welcome to the How to Be Unpopular podcast. I'm Todd. I have a very special guest. I'm Leon. Leon Bassin, owner of Shop Task. Oh shit. Is in the building. Very exciting. It is. It's Christmas time, which means we have our Christmas tree up. So it's uh, twinkling. There's some presents under it, none of which I have bought because I haven't started my Christmas shopping yet. I'm not really a fan of Christmas. You're Jewish towards it? I'm not Jewish, but I just don't like Christmas very much. You're Jewish, so you don't celebrate Christmas, eh? I I celebrate whatever. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't have to. (laughs) It's my choice. It is kind of funny that all these people celebrate Christmas, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I guess. What is it? For a Jewish, like, what's Hanukkah? To be honest, I don't want to... It's been so long that I don't really remember (laughs) exactly what it's for. Like, when I used to live in Israel, I would obviously know. But it's been like 12 years and a lot of cultural differences. It's like Christmas, you don't really know what it's about. Or most people don't. Yeah. And just something. All I remember it's eight days off school, something nice. like this, so I can skate every day. Sweet. But uh, I remember more or less, but I don't want to put it on record. Yeah. And be way off. With my... And you don't have winter in Israel, eh? or do you? You do. But do you yeah. get snow? Uh, up north, you yeah. do. We can actually snowboard for about two months. Oh, really? Well, ski, snowboard. Yeah. Ski board. Nice. Yeah, I used to snowboard. Really? Yeah. In Israel? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Cool. It's like, I think it's a really small country, but it has so many different climates. Yeah. So you have like the extreme like desert and extreme winter only for a couple of months really tropical and the ocean not the ocean the sea but it's a lot of really different um environment environments in like such a tight space like an hour drive here it's desert yeah it's like a really small country isn't it isn't it like the size of bc or oh it's way smaller smaller it's like if you drive from from one side to the other like across or vertically, or whatever. Yeah. One way it's about six hours, and the other way it's about two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's not small. Yeah, it's probably the size of. I don't know. Probably Vancouver Island, I would say. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even smaller. Wow. That's yeah. small. It's pretty small. Good things. So when you small when, sizes. Yeah, when you were like growing up skating there, did you like? Would you just you could go anywhere in Israel basically to skate yeah. from wherever? Well, it, when it's a smaller country, it's still when you here to go four hours, it's nothing from Vancouver yeah. to Kamloops. But there to go an hour to a different city, considered really far. It just feels really far. yeah. It's all uh, relative yeah, to yeah. the size of your country. Yeah. So here I drove across Canada, 
you don't think about it, but if you live in Europe, that's driving across like the whole, like ten different countries. Exactly. Yeah. So over there, you it would feel a lot crazier. Yeah. What countries are around Israel? Um, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Syria. So you a bunch of countries that just hate us. Yeah. But do you see the pyramids? Uh, no, I never went that far. Hmm. I, I crossed the border, but I didn't go all the way to the pyramids. Yeah. It's not far. It's like another hour, hour and a half. Crazy. Thing. And you never went. You were right there. Yeah, it's pretty stupid. <laughs> I was young. Yeah. Now... Like, how old were you when you moved? 17. 17? Wow, yeah. But I had other interests, such as rollerblading, and... Yeah. I wasn't too... Well, it w would have been nice to see, but wasn't my top priority yeah but now I would really like to see the pyramids so when you moved to Canada did you move to Vancouver or Toronto yeah Toronto yeah <laughs> the East Coast sweet and then I moved uh, I lived there for about a year and a half yeah and it was too cold and just wasn't used to it so I decided to move to BC by myself because that was the warmest place with, uh, so you moved to BC by yourself? With, uh, with a friend. Yeah. Probably don't know him. Brendan, he was a skater from Malta. Yeah. So we used to skate together in Toronto and then we just didn't like the city because we're both from... Malta is also a Mediterranean little island like yeah. it's below Italy. So we're both kind of neighbors from the same climate. Uh, and swimming in the same sea yeah <laughs> it's a sea it's not an ocean it sounds weird to say sea but it is um, so when we lived in Toronto it was just kind of a buzzkill skating in the winter so we just wanted to move out here yeah Do, had you started a shop task at that point or no no that was that was a when did I move here 2001 and then I stayed here till 2003, just rollerblading, having fun, yeah. working at Walmart, yeah. killing it. <laughs> and then I moved back to Toronto, and I was, the plan was to go back to school and live with my parents, go back to school. Who were in Toronto? Yeah, and still there. But then I went there, almost signed up for school, and I was like, just not feeling it. The school? Uh, yeah. You actually went to some classes and stuff? No, I almost, I wanted to go for a video, like video editing. Yeah. Uh, but then I just realized it's a hobby and I don't want to be working at it. Yeah. And it even, it's not even a hobby anymore, just kind of something I have to do once in a while yeah and I don't want to really get much better at it so it's good I didn't go to school for it because yeah. it was tons of money and just wasn't my thing and it yeah and it's something that you still can do you still do do yeah but you didn't have to go to school for it or make it your career yeah I just it was almost I was growing up I was 20 at that point 20, 
Yeah, 23, 24 maybe. Yeah. And uh, just had to figure out my life and yeah, going so to school is usually the the right thing to do. And I was, I don't know, in the back of my mind, I knew that there's nothing that I want to go to school for. But that was the only thing that maybe I could get into. Yeah. Because I like it, but I still knew that I shouldn't. Yeah. Did you have it in the back of your head that you were going to start a robotting shop? or? Um, well, I think everyone has it in the back of their head, like every rollerblader. So there, there was some points. I remember before I moved to BC, um, I had an idea of doing something like that. Um, but not not concrete. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. oh, it would be really cool to do it. I can, yeah, I can go into more details about the thought back then. But for a while, I was always trying to start something. I remember me and Wes were living together, and we were even thinking of starting a magazine. Yeah. Or just you know, but I think it's any rollerblader. You They'll just always dream it. about starting this or yeah. that or like t-shirt Wes wanted to start the clothing company I think that's pretty yeah I think every rollerblader had like every person I lived with and skated with there was always some dream about doing something and yeah. I, I'm sure like nowadays it's the same thing like you see all those edits all over the internet of people starting kind of their own little brands of like chosen few, nine to five, different kind of, or kind of crews that do videos, edits. Yeah, yeah. Trying to kind of bring it to have some sort of a dream I guess yeah to yeah continue just to it like, and make it make it their job or make it their yeah so then tell me how did you how did you actually start um, shop task uh, well it didn't start as a full-on at first it was uh, just a way to get some product because it was really hard to find product in Toronto yeah so you were Maybe. in Toronto when you started it yeah yeah and then me and my friend Brian uh, Brian McCutcheon were just skating together he was kind of a beginner but pretty smart guy he started skating I think when he was 20 so he started pretty old and I was been skating forever but he was really into it and would skate together and we even went uh, for a trip to California for 10 days yeah. just to skate and uh, and when we were there we we went to SDSF the local skate shop hang out with those guys and that was our first connection actually <laughs> pretty funny uh, but they were super cool. They, you know, we needed some product, like some frames, wheels, and they gave us just such good prices that uh, that in Canada at the time uh, wasn't 
frames, for example, would be like a hundred dollars, and we th those guys gave us frames for twenty bucks, or because yeah. they were the the price difference between Canada and the states was really ridiculous, like the retail price in Canada. Yeah, and online orders weren't that popular back then, so people would just buy in Canada. So there used to be this structure, outer line and uh, decals, maybe a couple other roll east, like small shops. And, but they were all, the prices were ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, I keep on saying that. Uh, so at first we we're like, oh wow, like if we can get it for 20 bucks from those guys for a pair of ground control frames, uh, you know, let's buy a couple, bring back to Canada. Yeah. So we bought some frames, wheels, and then when we got back to Canada, pretty much just product for ourselves. And then you can easily sell that frame for 60, 70 bucks, right? It's still way below Canadian retail. Uh, so at first it was just product for us, and then we're like, hey, let's... And when we told our friends, hey, that's, look at my frames or whatever, uh, I paid 20 bucks for them, they're like, what? Like, so, and then we put some money together and made an order, probably about a thousand dollars, of just like SDSF from SDSF. Yeah. Um, and we got a couple of frames, wheels, couple T-shirts, you know, stuff that mostly wasn't available in Canada. Yeah. I can't even remember what. Maybe some Franco Shade T-shirts at the time or fiction. I think, yeah, we got some fiction clothing, stuff that I thought was really cool and it was a shame that it's not available. So we got some stuff and sold some of it pretty quickly Yeah. and then ordered more and kind of grew from there as a really, well, there wasn't, at first there wasn't much of a we weren't trying to make money of it. It was more, you know, getting product for friends and, but slowly those friends started to ask, well, can you get us those skates and can you get us this? And yeah, well, why not? Yeah. And then it just started rolling from there and we're just, I guess, a lot more responsive to the, to the requests. Yeah, because you were friends with everyone, yeah. so you knew exactly what yeah. people wanted. So people would ask, and then we would estimate pretty good what would sell, like new DVDs and things like this, that if you just can't get them anywhere, people would buy them. Yeah. And then, yeah, it grew from there. So you would just keep all this stuff in your apartment? Yeah, like for, your at car. first in Toronto... Uh, well, I had some product in my house, Brian had some product in, in his house, and I had a station wagon, Yeah. and I would all like organize sessions, and I had a job at the time, so it wasn't my, like a source of income, but it was more to make sessions and kind of bring the community together and get everyone excited about it. Yeah. So we would have a session every two weeks, and it's funny because you can't just organize sessions without having doing it for some cause. Yeah. So when you're a shop, it makes more sense. Uh, so I still remember seeing the first like shop task edits 
mm-hmm. online. And what do family. they think? Um, I was confused because, <laughs> like, I didn't understand. Because it's, I think it said shop task, like shop task sessions. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, like, I had never heard of shop task. I didn't know there was a shop yeah. out there. So, I, like, I was kind of confused, like, like I knew about you. You were so, you were involved with Shop Task, and I think uh, the edits hinted at. I think it hinted that you had product. I mean, obviously, yeah. if it's a shop, but um, yeah, it was interesting. But at that point, were you taking it seriously? Like, were you like this is this yeah. this is a shop? And pretty quickly, I I was. It turned to be really serious, even though yeah. it was out of my car. I was really, I was always really professional about it. So you 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 wanted it to to grow, grow and to, add, yeah. to be a, a shop. Yeah. So when you were making those edits, you were like, oh, yeah. trying to promote the shop. Yeah. The shop. Okay. I was really serious, and it all happened really quickly, like within a couple of weeks, when I saw the potential. It became really serious, at least in my mind. Yeah. And I think that that was where me and Brian had the... At first, when we started, it wasn't a, like officially registered business and whatnot. We just got some products, sold it. And really quickly, I wanted to make it all... To register it properly and do all the... You know, make it a legit business. Yeah. And I think uh, Brian just wasn't into it. Yeah. He just wanted, like, yeah, whatever, like, like I, it's too much headache, like, because you yeah. don't know if it's actually going to become a business, or making it so, you know, if you make videos, for example, yeah, you're not going to go out and start a company, yeah, you know, Mushroom Blading Incorporated, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I was right away, full on, all like the he way. He wanted it to yeah. be legit. Yeah, even though I knew there, there's not going to be money for a very long time in it, I still wanted it to be set in a way that it could grow. Yeah. So how long did, because you had a job back then, you said? Yeah. So how long did you kind of run your shop and work a job? Like, how long was so, it before you could quit your job? Well, so that wasn't in Toronto, and I always wanted to move back to BC. Yeah. Because I just love BC, and I don't like Toronto, or I, yeah. the weather, and I don't know. But anyway, I, I wanted to move back to BC. But I started the shop there, and then the idea was, I was always kind of known that I'm planning to move back to BC. The idea was that Brian will stay in Toronto to run the shop there and I can move to BC and start shop task in BC yeah but at some point I just didn't want to be involved I, I think me and Brian were just wanted to take the company in different directions so I just decided to split up and move to BC so we had a pretty good market established in Toronto and the decision was mine to kind of step out so I basically left Brian with we kind of split the inventory I was 
weren't really easy about it. I didn't care if he has some more inventory. All in total, the inventory was nothing back then. Maybe like 10 grand worth of product. Um, but we had a pretty steady operation. People would call us uh, and we would actually deliver the product. We usually meet people at skate parks. Yeah or uh, at sessions and we always so they would just call your phone like how did they know what you had uh they didn't really they would just call and ask yeah i need need some wheels or i'd like to get some skates what do you have yeah because you didn't have a website back then no yeah but it was more you know you're at the session the whole idea was people weren't planning to buy stuff when they see you have product, they want to buy it because it's not accessible. You can't get it locally. Yeah. So when you come to a skate park and you're like, oh, blah, 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 I have a shop, I have wheels, this and this, if you want to check it out. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting, like coming from Kamloops, like I know what it's like to not have a, a skate yeah. shop in your town. So when there's product available, it's like, uh, it's, it's an event. It's exactly. like, oh, I can, I can just get it yeah. now. I don't have to pay like an extra yeah. 50 bucks for shipping. I don't exactly. have to. We used to call it Tony tax. Like when we ordered <laughs> from Outerline, there would be like, it would be like 80 bucks for the frames. And then somehow it would end up being like 150 bucks. Like it would end up just being so expensive. And we called it Tony tax. Like, That's but uh, yeah, I know how exciting that is when someone actually does have products. So yeah. you would just bring product to sessions and yeah i would always have my station wagon full yeah. packed with whatever i can bring and if you were to break it down to all right like you put so much work and effort into carrying all this stuff with you every time and then unloading it every time you come back home because yeah. you don't want to leave all this stuff in your car yeah and then you know you sell a beanie you sell a t-shirt you make like five bucks on a beanie, ten bucks on a t-shirt, or whatever. Yeah. So obviously, would you, would you keep not... track of like were you really organized? Did oh you yeah. Keep track of your inventory really, really and everything. Organized. Yeah. How from, did you right from the beginning? Like, how did you keep track of it all back then? Like back then you... on paper. Yeah. You, yeah. 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 Like a little notebook or something. Well, uh, no, sorry, sorry. Like on paper, when I would make the sales, but I had like uh, a comp- I bought a laptop for yeah. it, and I'm not a computer guy, yeah. but I. Before I had the shop, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have an email, I didn't have a, well, I had a computer at home, but, but I got a laptop, uh, I got a cell phone, I got an email. Nice. Um, and the reason I got a cell phone was to have it on the business card. And our first business card said, uh, shop task, uh, best price delivery, or yeah, best price delivery. Nice. And the idea was <laughs> to just, it just, I remember the, the one night that we actually had this idea. It was me, Brian, and Chris Savage, uh, who was like a, actually the first guy that I started skating with, with when I moved to Canada. Yeah. He's still a really good friend. Um, and originally, task was me and him. It was like or, a crew? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, that one night... Does task stand for anything? <laughs> well, 
when I moved to Canada. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about this. In, in Toronto, there was... Um, I met I met Chris Savage, right? Yeah. And he had he had a crew of skaters that was called Ta- Task, which stood for uh, Toronto Angriest Skate Crew with a K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all his friends quit skating because they were so angry. Because they were so angry. <laughs> and uh, I was kind of the new guy, and I just met them as this new immigrant really good at skating yeah kind of where the hell did this guy come from so were you like way better than everyone in Toronto no there was there was a few really good skaters but for the most part yeah (laughs) Um, I was uh, I was really good back then yeah I've been skating at that point for I don't know eight seven eight years I I was on top of my game and you were like top dog in Israel Yeah. yeah yeah But so when I moved there, Mike Lukovic was in Toronto and he was the best skater. And it was Jake Chaput. Yeah. Um, there was a few other skaters, but I was definitely one of the best three, five skaters. Yeah. Was, uh, Mike Lukovic. Uh, Luke Mike Porter? Luke, was Luke no, Porter? No, no, he was from the East Coast, from Halifax. Okay. It was Brendan Kaplan. Uh, but it was mostly Mike and Jake were the best skaters. The top dogs, yeah. And but but I could give them a fair run for their money. <laughs> uh, Mike was ridiculous. Yeah, Mike was really talented. Yeah. And still is. Yeah. It was completely like different style of skater, just so technical and can spin. I think still there isn't too many pros that can technically be better than him he's kind of like a Brendan Smith you yeah. just know he always had that really uh, relaxed yeah. style minimal upper body movement yeah. when he does tricks really balanced just super talented yeah uh, where was I going with that? Um, with Task Task oh, yeah holy <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there was Deckel's crew Deckel yeah. was a crew in Toronto, which was Mike Lukovic, Jake Chaput, Brandon Kaplan, a um, bunch of other people, Miles, and yeah, Kevin Chow, uh, a lot of people. And then Task was that other crew, and all those guys quit skating, and then Chris was, like me and Chris started hanging out together, and we would skate together all the time and then we kind of said oh we should have a crew and Chris is like yeah let's call it Task like that was the name of my crew before but we'll change what Task stands for instead of Toronto Angriest Skate Crew and then a friend of ours a friend of Chris from Germany moved to Canada for two months and he was one of the best skaters or one of the most stylish skaters I've ever met He's from, uh, he was kind of a big deal in Germany at the time. Yeah. His name is Philip Sadamon. Yeah. He had the profile and Crazy Roller. He wasn't, he was one of the pro, like, when Fila was coming up, he was one of the pro riders. Oh, wow. Uh, but Fila died really quickly. He was yeah. supposed to be like the, one of the 
five pros on that team. Wow. He was kind of a big shot. Yeah. Uh, so he was there, and it was like me, Chris, and him skating. And so we called the crew Task, and it stood for Off the Record. <laughs> <laughs> Talented Athletes Smoke Chronic with a K. <laughs> Damn, it's out there. <laughs> uh, I don't smoke weed anymore, but yeah, back then, that's, you know, kids. We used to smoke a lot of chronic. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so that, that was kind of like a joke, but the idea of the crew was one person, we can only have one person representing a country. Right. So it was... Chris was the Canadian, Chris Savage, like the true Canadian. Yeah. So the rules to be in the crew was you have to smoke pot. Yeah. You have to be from a certain country. So there couldn't be two Canadians. Yeah. So I was Israel, and then Philip was Germany, and Chris was Canada. And then slowly, more people got on this crew, but the rules were like really strict. Sorry, you can't be part of task. Yeah. <laughs> So we're pretty, it wasn't one of those crews that, yeah, we're just friends. And, but later there was a guy that lived in Toronto from Ecuador. Uh, he had a picture in Daily Bread. He's really good at skating. But he was on the crew as well. Uh, his name is Fernando uh, Salvador. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's a super nice guy. We used to skate together. And then Brandon from Malta. And then this guy, Aldo Barretta, he was representing, uh, what was it, uh, Puerto Rico or somewhere. Crazy. So, yeah, because Toronto has a lot of mixed cultures. Yeah. So everyone is an immigrant from somewhere. And then, and then later, Wes Cheng, he represented Hong Kong. Who else was on it? Anyway, that was uh, kind of the idea of the crew. But the rules were pretty strict. You had to smoke pot. And yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, where was I going with that? Um, oh, how we started. The, yeah. This. But anyway, we were skating, me, Chris, and uh, Brian, that one night, uh, just talking about the shop and... The idea came that like it's stupid to have a shop in one location because Toronto is such a big city, and most of the people that skate are young, and it's really difficult to take a bus all the way across town or from one of the suburbs to get to the shop, to Deckel shop that existed at the time. Yeah, um, it would be like three hours, just impossible. Like the city is way too big. So it doesn't make any sense to have a store in a central location, or at least back then it didn't yeah. make any sense. So I said, well, why have a store? Like, why not have one of those? The idea was because I saw there used to be a shop, like a bunk shop, <laughs> that was in a big truck, like a, you know, puff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there was some shop in Toronto that was like driving around, just this huge truck and they sell bongs like every they delivered bongs they, they it wasn't like a delivery it was a truck that would sometimes stop here sometimes stop there I, I don't really know the whole 
how this concept was operating. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, man, this would be genius to have like a skate shop in like a mobile truck. Like you just go to places where people skate. Yeah. And, like why would you have a shop that people from the skate park need to go there? Why not have it all in a truck and then you go to the skate park, you're operating a store, but you go around and skate all day. Yeah. So you have really low overhead. Uh, all you need is a car, like a truck. Yeah. And uh, just figure out good storage and enough space to fit everything in there. So that was the idea of Shop Task was kind of slowly work into that truck yeah. of this like mobile skate shop. And yeah, the first version of that mobile skate shop was my station wagon. <laughs> Which was pretty cool. Yeah. I have to pee. Alright, we'll take a break. Kinda. Just like if an order comes in, talking about like how uh, how your shop started bunch of shit in your car while you're in the um, and stuff. Well, that was interesting because I... <laughs> so me, me and Brian split up, so I just basically left them to this... having this whole scene that we built up in Toronto. I just moved out to BC, to Vancouver, that had the biggest skate shop in Canada at the time. Yeah. With... Just, I don't even know how much product, maybe like three, four grand worth of product. So basically nothing. Yeah. Couple of skates, maybe like 10, 12 pairs of skates. I just flew here. Oh, really? Yeah. No uh, car? No car. And uh, I moved here with my girlfriend at the time. We got like a small place, a bachelor apartment. Yeah. And downtown Vancouver and the living room was set up well a bachelor is just a living room but so the the whole place was set up as kind of half shop half living space was that that place on Pacific on Pacific we had like a, a barely dead premiere yeah okay so that was 
kind of the first establishment of shop task here at yeah. a tiny, tiny, how many square feet? I think maybe 350 square feet, maybe 400 square feet apartment. Yeah. That we were living in and there was a little setup. It's funny because today I got a customer at the shop who came to buy ski boots and uh, came with his girlfriend and we were talking for a while and he chose those boots that are yellow and green. Yeah. And I'm like, are you from Brazil? Because he had the accent and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I am. How did you know? Or, he's like, he's like, you actually, you remember? And I was uh, no, I, I just guessed. It's like, no, because I met you before. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, when? <laughs> it's like, I came to your shop when it was in, on Pacific Street. Oh, crazy. And I was kind of embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit. You see that shop? Like, just looking back at it would be so weird coming into somebody's, not even apartment that has a separate room, coming into somebody's bedroom basically yeah. you did that for a long time the the first location location yeah the first apartment <laughs> was there for about almost a year yeah and at the time I was working two jobs and just trying to save money to to buy more inventory to start a website because you can't start a website with having really small selection yeah so I would just buy and buy inventory and work. I was working from 7.30 in the morning. Sorry, 7 in the morning until 3.30. And that, that's my first job, Monday to Friday. Uh, and the second was from 4 p.m. So I would take the bus there. Then from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Monday to Friday. Where did you work? The morning was, I was a manager at Walmart, and then, so it's Monday to Friday, 10, uh, 7.30 till 3.30, 7 till 3.30, yeah. and then from 4 till 10, I was working uh, for PSAV, it's a audio video company, so we would, I would work in one location in a hotel, and just setting up corporate events, setting up the projectors, lights, audio, um, stuff like that. So I would be kind of the full-time evening guy and sometimes help them out Thanks. on weekends and stuff. So I would work the one job, Walmart would be about 40 hours a week and the other job would be close to 50 hours a week. And then when, when I get home, I would, that's when I was working on my website. For six months, I was building the website because yeah. I'm not a computer guy and trying to figure out how the business runs. And on the weekend, I would always go skate and try to film. And so it was pretty full-time job. But the, the reason I, wanted, I was working so much is to have enough money to buy inventory. Yeah. Because I had no investments, no outside money, no rich parents, yeah, just whatever, buy inventory, sell it, buy more, work hard. <laughs> and uh, So uh, um, 
so when people wanted to come to your store, like, did people's parents ever call? And, yeah. And so you would make an appointment with them? Yeah. And they would come into your house? Yeah. And you, and... I was... How was that? Looking back, it was really weird. Yeah. But at the time, I was just really professional about it. Like, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. But it was really organized. It looked like a shop. It wasn't out of somebody's house. I, you know, looking back, it looks like a joke, but I wasn't taking it as a joke. It yeah, was just yeah. properly set up. And some it, people. It did look good. It looked nice, but but you had like a bed and a futon, like over in the corner and futon, and and your kitchen right there. Yeah. And then on one wall, you had glass cases and all yeah. your product basically on the one wall. Yeah. So I mean, it did look good, but it was still it, it's a living room. room. You're walking yeah. into like a little living room yeah. slash bedroom. Um, yeah. That, I, I think it, my personality is just to get the best use of what you have. Yeah. And that's the best I could do at the time. That's the best, uh, you know, it's either this or... Or not do it at all. Or not do it, yeah. Yeah. So, even though it's ghetto, whatever, can still do it professionally. Yeah. And once people get past that, like, they walk into your house, and it's funny because at the... And slowly I started to get more inventory. And when you walk in, it's really hard to describe it, but there was a hallway <laughs> that goes straight into the living room, and halfway through the hallway there is a... To the, you go to the right, and that goes to the kitchen that also connects to the living room. But at one point, I wanted to figure out I needed more space. So what I did is block off this hallway from where the kitchen, where you can turn out, turn right into the kitchen and go to the living room. Yeah. So I blocked off the end of the hallway to create storage. <laughs> so I blind. So when people would come in, they have to turn right, go through the kitchen, and then it opens up to the living room. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really weird when people did come over. But once, they, once they're in, I was really professional and I had good product and, you know, if you can get over the first bad impression. It wasn't even a bad impression, the house was never Just dirty. something that people aren't used to, yeah. right? Really, I mean... But when they walk in, they would, would usually, usually be, oh, that's really like a shop in your house. Yeah. They were really surprised. You walking upstairs at some like building. And then after it's that... It's an experience. It's an experience. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, people that... Not that the shop is huge nowadays, but I feel for people that were there, like the guy today. Yeah. He hasn't seen me in four years, and he comes to the shop that all of a sudden sells skis. He bought some skate wheels for me Yeah. when he just moved to Canada, and then he's been getting emails from me because he was registered as a customer, and all of a sudden he saw I have ski boots, and he came to check it out, and I have, I'm the spot to buy ski boots now, like the ones I sell. Yep. And... He's like, started talking, I was like, yeah, it's weird, and like, I, I noticed, like, you open a store, and, you know, and then you open a store in Toronto, and 
I felt like he was really proud that he visited me at the first location or, you know, at that spot. Yeah. And I was really embarrassed that he did. I don't know why, but I felt kind of... Back then, I wasn't embarrassed because that's what I had. Yeah. But now, looking back, I'm, yeah, it feels weird. Yeah. But he was really happy that he was there. And he's like, I still have those wheels I bought off you. I didn't even use them. <laughs> well, people really like that, like when they when they knew it, know about, knew about something like before it was really big. Yeah. Like people will be proud of the fact that, that they went to your house back in the day when your store was in your house Yeah. and they were like a customer back then. And now you have like a couple locations like, yeah, you're turning into like a rollerblading franchise across Canada. So people, People like to brag about stuff like that, like, oh yeah, I remember I, I went to Shop Task back, yeah. when, back when it was in Leon's house, mm -hmm. back in the day, yeah. yeah. But it's funny, like, back then, um, I remember, I, I think I moved to Vancouver maybe shortly yeah. after you, mm -hmm. and at that time, Outline was still yeah. here, and there was still, like, some animosity about about you coming in and like taking because people still had loyalties to yeah. Outline and you were taking away some of the business from Outline and uh, did so did you ever have any did it, and did you ever get any beef from anyone like any comments about about your shop no I I was really fair I never I was never a sketchy operation um, so I was really respectful to the other shops or whatever. Yeah. Even though some people might. Did you ever talk to Tony, like face to face? I, with Tony, it's interesting history. I tried. Yeah. But he just wouldn't talk to me because he would see me as this little troublemaker. And when I moved to Vancouver. You tried, like you called him? Or when I, when I opened the, the store shop? in Toronto, like when I was saying that I took it super serious. I was clearly a joke in the eyes of all those shops. Yeah. But I sent an email to Distructure at the time. I sent an email to Outerline. I sent an email to Decals just to let them know that uh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I had to do it because Outerline was the distribution for razors. Uh, Distructure, I don't know what they were, I, but I think they were distribution for some stuff. Um, for Senate maybe or something like wow. that. But anyway, I wanted to just do everything right. And I had some experience, at, you know, because I, I worked for, in retail for a very long time and I ran a business, uh, my brother's failing business at some point and when I was 19, whatever. Yeah. So I, I did have some business experience and I always, I, at least I feel that I did everything right. Well, for the most part. But, so when I started, I always thought about what would be the right move. You know, how, if I, even though I'm so small, what would be the proper way to go about it? Yeah. So let the stores know that I want to be working with you, blah, blah, blah. Start on a good note. Yeah. This structure <laughs> never replied. Yeah. Or they might have. This structure might have replied, but 
nothing like kind of like in a really I think they might have not replied but even if they did reply looking back I think it was a reply that was kind of whatever generic or yeah yeah the the feeling I was left with is like they didn't even check the email yeah I was like okay I told them like I did my part yeah and uh, Outerline just wouldn't reply so I tried a couple times I sent a few emails like I don't mind you know just just let me know like if you kind of let me know if you got the email I'm just yeah yeah there was never like why why the hell are you not answered but it was clearly like a few times and I tried a few different emails like Tony Mark at the time I think and it was kind of they must have been seen it as a joke and said not Mark I don't no idea what happened yeah. Uh, and then I told Decals as well, and they were cool, whatever, you know. But when I moved to Vancouver, yeah, there was still loyalty to Outerline. And I think some of the people I remember were more loyal than others would be you and Joey. Because you weren't born yesterday, you've been skating for a while. Yeah. You didn't want to, you know, all of a sudden put all your trust in some rollerblader that you remember from back in the days, pothead. Yeah. You know, and then just forget about out of line, and then out of line will close down, and then I would close my shop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it was, but I was never like too pushy about anything. I just did what I thought was the right thing. So, and I think that the time where I could feel maybe Joey changed, started changing his mind was a d maybe barely dead premiere he was like because I put all this effort into doing it even though it's ghetto from my house but I got the video and I got had like the, the one magazine when it was just the first issue and I had like some free copies uh, something that just out of line at the time would have never done yeah and I did organize sessions back then so slowly it was same as Toronto, people started seeing, like, cool, like, he's actually really trying. Yeah, Like, yeah. why not support him? Like, not necessarily stop supporting Outerline, but he tried, like, maybe I'll buy a DVD. Yeah. yeah. And that's how slowly it started. So people would just, oh, cool, I'll support both. There was never... But Outerline was... I got banned from the shop. <laughs> Mike Miller was working there. And as soon as Tony found out that I moved to... Vancouver yeah I didn't like announce hey Tony I'm moving to Vancouver because we had this he just didn't want to talk to me he didn't care about what I'm trying to do yeah and uh, I would have probably came up to him but within like the first week as soon as I moved back because I moved back as a surprise I didn't tell anyone I, yeah. I literally moved back I walked into Outerline one day and everyone's like what the fuck are you doing here like Mike <laughs> Miller Tommy, everyone was there. And so the rumor got around, oh, Leon got is back in town. Obviously, back then, everyone just saw me as a good skater that everyone used to skate with. Yeah. That moved away to Toronto for two years. And some people heard, oh, yeah, he started doing some shop thing out of his car or something. But I walked into Outer Line and said, hi, Tony wasn't there. And, uh, 
And then Mike was a friend of mine, like skating, Mike Miller. And he told me, "Hey Leon, like he can't come to the shop. Like Tony knows you're back. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want you at the shop because you have a shop." And I was kind of, was really, <laughs> really surprised by it. But yeah. I didn't. Yeah, the the right thing to do was just to whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like nothing happened. Yeah. So I would never go to Outer Line, and <laughs> I wasn't like going against them or. I was just doing my thing and I knew that yeah. if I just do what I what I believe in and what what I think is right, Tony as a non rollerblader would never have a chance and just people would see yeah. like why would you support someone who is not a skater? So I wasn't trying it's, to convince anyone. That seems it seems obvious in hindsight, like looking back on it, but at the same time, like for you as a young man, like twenty four, twenty five years old, mm -hmm. to uh, to have the confidence to go up against out of line who had been there for ten years, well, more. had a how like twelve, yeah, something they had a, a strong foothold in the Canadian roll betting industry. They were the distributor for razors. Yeah, they wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to buy razors. Fuck. Like all the companies were was weird. So I had to get it through, you know, other shops. I couldn't yeah. get it for cost. But I would just buy like bigger quantity, like like we started at first SDSF and then, you know, just would contact other shops in the States and say, Well, like blah blah blah, I'll buy in a bigger quantity and yeah. get some stuff in wholesale. But it was really difficult to, to do. And yeah. the prices were obviously higher because the shop wants to make a profit on it. Uh but eventually, out of the line started slowing down, and and you you won, you beat a, you like, and, and then they went out. Yeah, they weren't sponsoring anyone. It that was, was the thing; was, they weren't doing anything for yeah. rollerblading. Tony but, wasn't doing really. They they had their shop. Yeah, they were supplying product, but yeah. they weren't they weren't organizing sessions or making edits or they weren't involved. Tony wasn't. There was always, you went in there and there was kind of a, a sense of guilt for being there. Like, you felt bad, like, you didn't belong. If you're it not felt, buying anything, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely not. Even if you were buying something, it felt weird going in there. It was, Tony was very out of touch with the the scene of role biting. Mm -hmm. Out of line was kind of this, like, boutique that you went into. It was like going into Sport Mart or something. But... But there was history there. Yeah, at least. it's I good mean, that it was there. Yeah. And I think whether I moved to Vancouver or I didn't, Outer Line would have gone out of, would have closed down. It's not that they weren't profitable. They were, yeah, they were on their way out. Skating yeah. in Vancouver was Skating, really suffering. Yeah, because they were ba their business was mostly based from fitness before. Yeah. And in 2005, that's where rollerblading took fitness rollerblading in Vancouver took a big hit because biking started blowing up and I, I feel for the past five six seven years it's been biking has just been growing and growing um, but rollerblading has been growing as well yeah like especially the fitness crowd but 2005 that's when like Salomon went out you know the fitness industry was just not bringing any money 
and the yeah. aggressive industry had all of a sudden competition locally and the aggressive industry was never bringing too much money so at that point Tony said well you know I'm not making enough money to even bother and as soon as I opened the website it was just obvious that yeah. there's no point to compete yeah I just had all the DVDs and like all the each category was full maybe not like into a crazy extent of sizes and but normal like common sizes good selection of of representing all the different brands versus out of line that was really business oriented like we're the distributors for razors we only gonna sell yeah. razors we're distributors for mind game <laughs> that's the best wheels where in skaters knew it wasn't the case yeah but it was pretty easy I just did what what I did and eventually everyone was like they yeah. slowly people would start going to outer line and outer line didn't even display any skates <laughs> and when people would ask you know some skaters would be like oh like where are the skates it would be really awkward walking in towards the end yeah and Tony would say well what's the point to display it or at least that's what I heard because I wasn't allowed in the shop <laughs> what's the point of displaying it if you guys are all gonna buy from Leon so it was a little I feel bitter about it yeah. and at the end when he was closing down he was trying to clear out a bunch of stuff for cheap and I made an order online to buy a bunch of his inventory for like the online prices yeah when the store was already closed and at that point he I bought like whatever good stuff he had for really cheap like below wholesale yeah yeah and the back then it was like he supposed he he's gonna either ship it to you or meet up so i said hey tony like i'll just meet you wherever to pick up the stuff so i was pretty mature about it like he's going out i'm buying his inventory yeah and he didn't reply for a few days because i he had a <laughs> lot of orders he was just trying to clear everything out and then he replied was like oh sorry this and this is already sold out like four days later yeah and i'm thinking yeah it's obviously it's sold oh, out so to someone else he was like else. trying to sell it to other people yeah he didn't and i i was like that's fine i'll just because that hurts you yeah because people are buying it from obviously yeah. him and not yeah 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 so and then at the end i was really respectful which is funny because ultimately it doesn't matter to yeah. him he's yeah. out no. but he didn't he didn't no. want to help you yeah at all. exactly <laughs> and but he actually replied to my email which i was almost surprised so i was like that's fine just you know let me know if you have stuff left i'll you know i'll gladly pick it up yeah and uh he's like okay i'll let you know i'll get back to you and i think i followed up with him later hey tony like i see, still noticed you have some stuff left uh <laughs> it was like really normal emails right we never had any fighting or whatever um and uh i even said um I would really like to meet up with you and you know just talk about out of line a little bit because I'm sure you have a lot of really good advice to give me you know since you're going out and I'll pay you for consultation yeah because I knew he would know a lot about doing way too many things importing like dealing with companies so I wanted to be in like good relationships so I was like I would really appreciate if I can take you out for lunch and I'll pay you as much as you want for your time yeah um, and he replied, you know, he replied, is like, I'll let you know if I, when I have time or something. Yeah. And it just never happened. 
or maybe he just didn't reply when I asked for it. Maybe I followed up, but it never happened. He was just like, oh, whatever, I have, I'm done with this. Or at least that's how I see it, I'm done with this, like, with all those kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. It's funny, because that must have happened a lot, like, people who started shops or whatever back in, like, the late 90s when it, it was just really profitable. Yeah. Probably people who weren't super passionate about rollerblading, maybe they skated a little bit and they, and they knew a little bit about it and they had some business sense or rich parents or whatever and they got into it and then made a shitload of money then, but then as it trickled away, yeah, and they got older and just dealing with all these kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's probably a common story. And I don't blame them, like, blame Tony. I mean, some rollerbladers are a waste of time, right? Yeah. Yes, they're cool because they rollerblade and it's fine. I'll skate with them, but when you run a business and you have those, you know, aggressive rollerbladers that come into your shop and yeah. they don't have money to spend, but they complain, like, how come this is more expensive? Or, like, dude, you have a shop in your town. Shut up and yeah. buy this and, you know, go skate. So the, like, other crowd, like the fitness crowd or is so much easier to deal with. The yeah. aggressive crowd is just so picky. They know exactly how much stuff costs. Like for example, in Canada, we don't have Canadian distribution, so we have to get everything from, from the States. When you bring skates into Canada, there's huge duty on the skates. So for me, compared to any US store to bring skates into Canada, cost maybe 20% more bottom line at least yeah. 20% more and that's why the Canadian retail price on all the products should be about 20% higher because it's just more expensive to import into Canada yeah. especially when you're importing into Canada and you don't get it for distribution prices so that technically the price in all industries in Canada is higher. In skateboarding, if bearings cost $15 in the States, they're 20 or 25 in Canada. Like an iPad, you know, if it, or an yeah. iPhone, if it's 200 in the States, it's 250 in Canada. Yeah. In, the, in some industries, the differences are not as big because the duties are different. Yeah. The taxes that the government takes for it. And it's funny because the the duty is designed to protect Canadian manufacturers. So uh, technically on products that uh, that are not made in Canada, that, that they don't have Canadian manufacturers, shouldn't be high duty rates. So they like the government that wants to promote yeah, our Canadian, Canadian made. made. So I guess when this whole tariff was invented was way back in the day when stuff was actually made in Canada where hockey skates or things like this were made in Canada. So rollerblades, complete skates, kind of fall under the same category as ice skates that used to be made in Canada. That's just my guess, right? And now everything's made in Everything China. is made in China. Nothing yeah. is made here. And you pay on a complete skate to import into Canada. It's 18% duty plus, you know, taxes, 
plus brokerage fees. So for me, like realistically, a pair of skates you could could be up to twenty five percent from like the cost of my cost wow. is like a hundred bucks before shipping and all this crap like international shipping just the duty is like 25 bucks and obviously shipping is way more anyway long story so i always the prices are a bit higher in canada and that's just the way it is and with aggressive skaters they just don't accept that the price is higher if the yeah. u.s dollar is equivalent to the american and the yeah. canadian the american is the same they expect the price to be the same even though everything is more expensive in Canada. And of course they know it. So if they come into your shop and your wheels are $5 more than it is in Aggressive Mall or any store in the States, they'll tell you about it. How come it's so expensive? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then you have to tell them. You have to explain them and be really <laughs> nice and professional about it. So I, I got fed up with this whole, like, and I, I felt that I'm losing a lot of business to kids that to first-time skaters that just go to U.S. stores like, oh, what, it's 200 in the States and it's 239 in Canada? Oh, I'll buy it from the States. Yeah. But then so they're much paying smarter. the shipping. They're paying the shipping, and then when it comes to their door, their parents paying $50 to importing. And that's the stuff that they kind of don't notice or forget about. Yeah. Like, oh, I still got a good deal. Everyone likes to say that they got a good deal, even if they got ripped off at, at the end. But usually skaters that would buy skates as first-timers would go to the skate park. The Canadian skaters that would skate there would really support Shark Task and give them a card and say, oh, where did you get those? You know, you should buy it from Shark Task. It's cheaper. You have to be a little older and smarter to know that it is cheaper and it is obviously way better to support your local shop. But I felt that I'm still losing tons of business to those first-time kids yeah. that just, oh, I want to try rollerblades. And they go and buy rollerblades from the States. And then I hope that they will continue skating and actually buy a second pair from me. Yeah, yeah. So I said, this is just a waste of time. I rather, I realized that, or that's my guess, 80% of the people of the rollerblading industry, people that buy skates, it's a one-time purchase. Really? So it's mostly kids that would buy skates in some small town, think they just found a cool new thing, go to the skate park, everyone <laughs> would make fun of them, yeah. and they wouldn't be strong enough to stick with it. Yeah. So they would just put them away and slowly kind of like nothing happened, go back to their skateboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very few that would actually stick with it if they they're actually the cool kids that don't care what their friends say they'll say whatever yeah i'm gonna do this because it's sicker but most of the people are just follow are just followers yeah and oh, it's just, a tough thing when you're like in high when school. you're young yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm not saying it's their fault but they are followers yeah and so i figured 80 percent would be people that buy it once and never come back so me losing all this because I'm fairly trying to make, to price it properly, being pretty much the only store in Canada. So like, well, let's just price all our skates, all the high-end ticket items, uh, at least for aggressive, 
because the aggressive customers are really picky. Yeah. And, you know, potentially this would promote Canadian builder, like Canadian market. So every so you've skate... So put, you've put all the prices to All the prices are the state. same as the state. So if, if a skate is one ninety nine in the US, it's one ninety nine in Canada. Yeah. Which is, if you don't, if you know that it's the same price and you still buy in the States, <laughs> yeah, you're not very smart. Yeah. You might think it's come going to come out to be the same, and maybe in some cases you might get lucky and you're not going to pay importing fees, but you're still going to wait a lot longer for the shipping. Yeah. You still, 90%, you will pay taxes when it's a full-size order, when it's like a pair of skates. Um, and just being able to go and try on different well, in, in things. Well, that's a completely different story. Like locally, even if I was to sell it more expensive at a proper price, and that was a concern when I opened the store because I started pricing things on par with the states. So I'm basically priced like the US stores, but I'm making so much less money on each product. But obviously the small ticket items like wheels, bearings, I gotta be a little bit more expensive because no one is gonna order one set of wheels from the states yeah. and pay all this money for shipping, so yeah, I, I can be selling them for the same price because then I, I make five bucks on a set of wheels. Yeah. There's no way for me to survive. But um, the biggest reason why I wanted it to be this way because I believe that the Canadian industry is big, but for the longest time it's not noticeable because the way companies judge the industry is by how much you sell. Yeah. So Canada might have tons of skaters, but if all those like I still think about fifty more than fifty percent of Canadians buy from the States. Really? Yeah. Really? Really. So those companies see it as like, wow, the US has such a big market. Because yeah. they judge it aggressive mall order this Based many skates. On sales. Shop test order that many skates. Hmm, Where if everyone was supporting Canada, like the U.S. industry is horrible. If you go to, you know, the areas where those big stores located, there's no one skating there. Yeah. When you go to like Montreal, for example, you go to South, like South Park or Taz, there's way more skaters than any skate park in the States, guaranteed. Like Ooh, three, four really? times big more. But the companies don't see it as something, oh, we need to do our tours, you know, like we need to invest more money into the Canadian market. Yeah. Because the Canadian market doesn't sell skates. You know, little they know, half of the U.S. industry is based on Canadian. I'm not saying half, U.S. is huge. Yeah. But there's a lot of money coming from Canada to those U.S. shops. Crazy. So is that just based on like loyalties to American shops, or people think that they're getting a lower price when they order it, from it's, the states? It, it's really tough to compete because those shops are really big. You gotta have yeah. everything in stock. You gotta be on top of your game. You know, like competing with big companies that have seven employees working for them just on the website. You know, so the photos are top-notch, you know, all the information is top-notch. 
the product is there on time they have all sizes they have a lot of inventory to get to that point is it's quite challenging yeah but at least now shop task is you know getting there but we're not just focusing online because online doesn't grow rollerblading yeah and the, the the main mission of my business is to make rollerblading popular yeah that's the mission of Shopcast. and you can't do it by having an online store yeah well it um it has its place i mean it helps i mean for for like the kids in the small towns who don't have a skate shop in their city they rely on that to to get their oh, yeah. stuff but it doesn't grow it in the way that it creates new rollerbladers it, a new a new rollerblader isn't gonna typically isn't gonna order something from a site right yeah they would okay. yeah but this customer the the chances of this customer sticking around is, is slim to none yeah the way those customers would stick even if they live outside of the city knowing that there's a core you know like they can go to Vancouver and go for skate on Wednesdays with this crew of rollerbladers there or just knowing that there's something so my goal is to have more shops yeah spread out across Canada and that what in the public eye would make rollerblading popular because then they see oh there's an actual store that sells this stuff yeah maybe it's not as small as I thought because whenever you aggressive skate anywhere people would say oh I didn't know people do it like, or yeah. still do it like does it exist you know and that's a huge problem is like no one's gonna start skating if they don't have anyone to go skating with exactly like it's people need skate need friends to keep them interested in it yeah. and, and when there's a skate shop not only is their product but you see all the kids hanging out there you mm -hmm. see like the skaters in the shop so it's it seemed like that's kind of like the core of the of the skate scene and then people people go into the shop and there's people hanging out mm -hmm. like you know cool cool people hanging out at the shop then it's like oh i could get skates and like beat skate go skate with these guys yeah you know like oh these guys are going for a session i'll i'll go skate with them mm -hmm. so yeah it kind of introduces them into that community Oh, it's, and even this year, we only been open for, what, a year and a half now? Like, that was yeah. our first summer that we were open, full summer, and we got so many new kids. And their parents know that it's a, it's a good sport. Yeah. They can go to a session, and, you know, kids are not going to make fun of them. You know, it's, it's a really good community. But you can't build it without having, not that you can't, but it's a lot more difficult to build it without it. Yeah. So if you, and I'm not talking anything bad about online stores, but there's a lot of buts. <laughs> uh, when the... The mission is to make, my mission is to make rollerblading popular. And the ways to get to it is by making it more accessible. 
um, more affordable, which would make it more popular. Yeah. So making making it more accessible, more affordable would make it more popular. Yeah. And the accessibility online, obviously, it's amazing because you're accessible to everyone. But it's not the same type of accessibility as a store, as a f physical accessibility. Yeah. So that's, I think that personally to make it popular, my mission would be to open stores to bring that experience to more areas and bring the experience to those areas and then making it affordable, whatever it takes. So those aggressive kids not going to complain, how come those wheels are five bucks more? You know, maybe we just, it's going to take time for us to grow and be big enough that we can bite the bullet on this extra cost and make it cheaper yeah and then make you know eventually you know make skates reasonable so they can compete with a skateboard yeah or a scooter that parents can buy to their kids for 40 bucks well really yeah it's a matter of volume yeah if you can if you can be purchasing like 10 times as, as many skates as you're getting now yeah then the skate companies can give you a deal on those and then not that they just gonna give me a deal but it's more if I if I make ten dollars on each skate and I sell a hundred skates yeah that's too much calculation let's say <laughs> if I sell ten skates and I make a dollar on each skate yeah. right then um, I made ten bucks but if I can sell a hundred skates and make fifty cent, fifty cents on each skate, yeah. I still made fifty bucks. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I still made way more money. There's way more kids out there with skates on their feet. Yeah. That's gonna need wheels and bearings. So the industry is gonna grow, but it's getting to a point where you're big enough to lower your prices. Yeah. And that's, and that's always been mission you know and eventually it would be good to have if people support Canadian and support shop task we can grow and if we can grow and we can sell more skates locally those companies would see that there's so much potential in Canada there would be Canadian distributions yeah. and what this would do and because at the moment the way the industry works stuff is made in China it goes to companies either in the states or companies like power slide in Those germany main distribution centers and then we so the product is made there there's tons of shipping costs to bring it to the u.s or to germany and importing fees into their countries yeah and then once they paid for all this stuff we ship it to us and pay for importing again so from the moment the product left china you know no one made like the, the only people that benefited from this money is the shipping companies and the yeah. governments yeah. that it went through. The skater or the companies that produce the skate don't see any, any profit there. Exactly. So as we grow bigger and get to that certain point, we can just make enough or the companies can send us enough stuff straight from China. Straight from China. And then have a Canadian distribution so we get it. We, uh, we basically what we're saving is like shipping it to the US or shipping it to Germany yeah. and then shipping it to us and paying 
importing for that company. So that for the money that you're saving shipping from the distribution center in the yeah. States up to Canada can be a, a lower the price. In prices. Yeah. So so you wanna have like a shop task distribution center in Canada. Yeah, not just necessarily distribution just for shop task, but shop task growing will bring it to a point where we could have a distribution. And yeah. if we do have a Canadian distribution, then it's so much easier for every small sports store in Canada to actually sell aggressive skates. Because there right. is fitness skates, K2 and Rollerblade has, have Canadian distributions. And they okay. sell a lot. I know, well, I, I did hear some numbers. I know how much fitness sales are. Because I sell fitness skates, so I'm yeah. pretty sneaky about asking questions here and there. Yeah, that's uh, relatively new for you, right? Is fitness skates? Fitness skates? Um, yeah, probably about, well, a year. But we are the main Canadian fitness shop as well now. Wow. Obviously, there's the big companies, the big accounts, the big sports stores yeah. that don't specialize in it. But from the well, for, from the independent accounts in Canada, we are the main ones for pretty much any category of skates. Yeah. For almost any big company, whether it's the Canadian companies, K2 and Rollerblade, um, or all the aggressive companies. So with every single company, and this year we're also going to bring Seba Skates, which will be bringing the first... You know, no one, well, that's not true. There is a store in Quebec that sells Seba skates, but not to the extent that we're going to be bringing it and making it popular with. So we are going to support skate brands, you know, that pop out. And Seba is not a new brand, but um, they have some, they've been around and yeah. they're considered really, really Oh, they're high good. quality skates. They're really good skates. And it's a skater owned company, uh, which is even an aggressive, it's really hard to find skater owned companies. Yeah. But not that I'm saying non skater owned companies are bad, um, but I, I can see in a lot of cases, skater owned company would care about certain things to a different level. Yeah. Their, their priorities are a little different. Totally. They not gonna venture into other aspects. They would try to grow the scene. Yeah. To make that scene more profitable. At the end, yes, everyone wants to make more money, but I, myself or other skaters would want to make more money from rollerblading. Yeah. See rollerblading grow and make more money, not go and sell some skateboards yeah. on the side. And put that money back into things that are going to help grow rollerblading exactly. as opposed to just investing in something else that's going to make you more yeah. money. And yeah, it's all, it all sounds really good when companies say like, oh, I invest back into rollerblading. Not, uh, for companies that are not skater-owned, they still invest tons of money in rollerblading. Some, yeah. Sometimes skater-owned companies, yeah, we invest into rollerblading, but what the hell do you invest like it just yeah. support skater owned so I can buy food like yeah <laughs> it's, 
like some companies that I'm not gonna mention. Yeah. Uh, some skater-owned companies that are extremely sketchy. That I don't want to support. Yeah. <laughs> but if it is a, a legit skater-owned company, they would try to develop the sport. So maybe not necessarily invest into like sh showing everyone. Oh look, I'm gonna support you just because that's the proper marketing move but to support the industry with something they really need like put more money into like developing a skate or sending a skater to like a competition or investing in skaters to you know like for example what i invest in is making tours and making videos uh well not only but every year i do the task around tour yeah obviously it's fun for me but it's also huge because I go to different areas in Canada and show kind of like the scenes in those areas and promote skaters in those areas and try to promote Canadian skaters and then I make tons of those DVDs and give it free with all the skate orders and try to push the Canadian industry so yeah. the kids that buy skates see that there is something local you know they get a DVD like if if a kid from Newfoundland orders a pair of skates he gets a DVD that shows us visiting his area yeah you know and touring there and skating the spots that he that he you know can't even imagine people skating yeah and that's exciting for him yeah so that's how I you know there's different ways I try to invest money back into it but um, I think the biggest thing is for me to have enough money because the, the biggest investment is me opening a store you know like actually making rollerblading more accessible and more affordable that's the true investment it's not just giving some skater a free pair of skates yeah that's not how you need to support the big picture yeah exactly and that's what a lot of companies don't understand or a lot of skaters are stupid and they're like oh like I'm so good at rollerblading, give me a free pair of skates. Yeah. First of all, I'm a lot better than them at rollerblading. Yeah. <laughs> so, they can't fool me with their skills. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... It's very uh, true, though. I've said it before that, that companies should be focusing... Like, skate companies should be focusing or investing more into their technology yeah. than into people, in, into skaters, like into marketing. Like I think aggressive company, there's, so, there's, there's such little money and they're spending so much of it on marketing and making cheaper, shittier products. Yeah, and I actually had a discussion with someone in the industry um, someone that I really respect but he was we were talking about products and um, I was giving him a lot of like suggestions about what I think yeah. they need to do but bottom line if you have good product yeah maybe it doesn't matter the price the price is not an issue like for example Seba skates they have $800, $900 skates that they're selling and in aggressive rollerblading, I think the industry slowly realizes 
with carbon skates that's not really the price you gotta gotta show value yeah it's the value in the skates it's not the price of the skate the, the young kids would still be buying the whatever their mom can afford yeah but for the core rollerbladers which is probably not a big chunk of the it's kind of like Toyota and Lexus Toyota makes way more money than Lexus but you know Lexus is the, the luxury for them you still have to make it yeah there's got to be that option yeah and that same with like Honda and Acura or whatever so you, you have to have that higher end skate that you invest a lot of money in and people that that want it will pay whatever whatever yeah. the price is if it's that good I mean if, it, if there is a value in it if there is a reason yeah most people would just be buying you companies would still make way more money from the their cheap stuff yeah but it's still good and you can learn with it um, but like if if skating was a little bit bigger I've always said like if 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 um if skate companies were making a lot more money, then they could sink a lot more money into the research and into the materials of, of what's on the skate. And it wouldn't even have to raise the price of the skate that much. Just the, the, vol the, the number of sales would allow them to do that. Like right now, there's such little... I, I think companies are just scared that the yeah. consumer is not going to pay that much money. Skates, when carbon fiber. I don't fibers, think they necessarily have to be that expensive. I mean, I like skates now. I think are way overpriced for for what uh, like for the materials that are being used. I mean, you look at a really cheap aggressive skate, and it's the same price as like a really well built, really good quality fitness skate. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just a matter of like volume? I mean, the fitness skate is selling. A shitload more, yeah. so they can they can price it as uh, at the same as the shitty like aggressive skate. There's definitely a, a difference, obviously because of the volume. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. I just think that companies could invest more, but it's it's scary. It's hard to tell. I yeah. think with the carbons, that was the beginning. Not that I think the carbon skate is amazing or ne even necessary for aggressive skating. Yeah. But it just proved companies that, or proved aggressive companies, that the aggressive consumer will pay more in fitness the consumer is just not going to pay more than a certain price because they are not as invested in it as an aggressive skater. But I think aggressive skating is a lot like cone skating. Like the people that do it are really... It's a really specific... Like You need a specialty skate to do this. Yeah. Once you become to get to a certain level, the skate needs to be... to do certain things, to respond in, in certain ways that it's really important like on the like the performance you're gonna get out of it so if you if you have better equipment you can be a much better skater 
and uh, I think in cone skating they did push the limit and said cool we'll make a skate that's gonna be the best they made they had one skate that was the best cone skating skate it was retailed for like four or five hundred dollars yeah which is more expensive than most aggressive skates but in the price range of the carbons but then they pushed it with their new skates to 800 I think it's 800 or 899 US retail really for those skates really yeah and they actually is that a Seba yeah it's Seba? A Seba it's not the most comfortable skate for well it's really specific for cone skate for cone skate but and it's they, 900 bucks it's 900 bucks but people that do cone skate and they're really serious about it to invest a little bit more money if it actually makes a difference you know like money is not an issue yeah yeah and to a lot of people four hundred dollars is not an issue like especially yeah. when it's a sport that you're so invested in yeah exactly and if it's if it's if it's the best quality and if i mean the thing is once once a skate comes along that feels really 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 good you just can't go I back mean, yeah you you don't want to skate something subpar. I mean, if, if you're really into that activity, yeah, it's like anything less than that, that um, peak quality is just, it's like you can't be at that level without exactly. it. And if you think about it, skiing or snowboarding, how many rollerbladers ski or snowboard and they have a setup that's worth about a thousand bucks? And that's not their main sport of interest. And yeah. I'm talking before all the clothes and the gear. Yeah. Even if you buy a used setup of skis or snowboard with, you know, gloves, goggles, this and that, you're still like close to a thousand bucks. Yeah. And with skates, so the same skater that does have a snowboard, if there was the right skate for him that cost a thousand bucks, I think he would buy it. Oh, totally. And plus, they don't have to pay for like their season's pass. Exactly. They go skate a park for free. Yeah. You think like the kids that buy $300 skates even have $300? No, they just get it, get whatever they need to get to yeah. get those skates. Yeah. So if it needs to be 800 bucks, they'll figure out a way to do it. Yeah. So I think companies need to step up their game and just develop better products. And yeah. not necessarily that the first expensive product will be the best, but I think people would be willing to try when there's actually technology that makes yeah, sense yeah. in it. Even just really pushing that technology. Yeah. Like, you put on a pair of Seba skates. You gotta pee again. You gotta pee again. Don't pause. Don't pause. Just, just talk a little. Sing us a song. Something I wanted to talk to you about was um, like over the last year, maybe a couple years, um, you started selling fitness skates. Um, you you tried out those off road skates. Um, power blading is now like. I don't know, there's a few people experimenting with like uh, different frame setups, like big wheel setups on, on aggressive skates. Yeah. And 
also people's attitudes towards fitness skating, I think, are starting to shift. I mean, like, um, people used to be really, like, aggressive skaters, didn't want to wear fitness skates, and now it seems like a lot of aggressive skaters are opening up to the idea of, of also owning a pair of fitness skates or, like, experimenting with big wheel setups. And it seems like slowly the the division between aggressive skating and fitness skating and cone skating and power blading, um, people are, like, the, the, the lines are blurring a little bit and, and, and people are, like, opening up to those different, to the different, uh, genres. like, just different genres and, and different technologies. So where do you see that going? Like, do you think... Do you think um, that's really gonna affect like quote unquote aggressive technology? Like, do you think it's gonna become more common for aggressive skates to have like big wheels and and maybe um, a lot of skaters like you know they'll you'll still have skate people that skate freestyle, but but a lot more aggressive skaters will start skating flat rocker or like power blade. Like, where do you see that moving? It's a really, yeah, I feel that rollerblading is in a really confused stage. Yeah. Well, I guess it would be aggressive rollerblading is in a very confused stage. In, in every aspect. And uh, I think it's going in a really good direction. And that's kind of like this really messy unclear time that would like open up to this like to what it's actually should be in my opinion yeah so I think we were going through like a very long time that and the only way for rollerblading to become popular is change somehow and the past year is the only, like in a very, very long time, that's the only time that I guess companies started feeling that there's a need for a change more than just calling it a different name. Um, so. it's, it, the, I, I, I think... Um, what I've always seen for rollerblading is that, like, I think aggressive has really been stuck in a certain frame of thinking for a really long time. Okay. Like, um, really defining what it means to to rollerblade or aggressive skate, like the whole like skating anti rocker and uh, focusing on grinding and and. Like a few years ago, you would never see a section of someone skating in the power blading thing. Like you yeah. just never you, that you would never see that. Um, and it's exciting to me that people are experimenting with different technology. Like I, I would love it if eventually, aggressive skating was like a lot of people were skating power blading setups. Some people were really still focusing on grinding, skating freestyle sk- setups. Um, like there was just a lot of different um, options for people and it wasn't wrong to 
to do one thing. It's not like freakish to have a power blading setup. It's like it's one option. Like if you want to just skate fast and you don't care too much about grinds, you can just do like macios or whatever, but do a lot of like swivelly tricks or whatever. It's just rollerblading. Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not weird. It's not abnormal. It's just like oh, okay, that's one thing that you can do on skates. And you have many different kind of options and genres like that, and it's all just considered, oh, it's just rollerblading. Yeah. You know? And that's what it was at the beginning when it was really big. Yeah. It was just, oh, it's rollerblading, and people are like, I can do this with it, and I can do that with it. And then all those genres started to go in their own little ways, mostly aggressive. They don't want to be associated with with this whole rollerblading image yeah and it almost feels like they wanted to be associated with skateboarding more than they wanted to be associated with fitness skating yeah (laughs) where i think to be honest that that might be i might not even agree with that statement in in a couple months or but that's what's going through my head now in skating and I haven't been doing grinds in a very long time. I still think it's awesome and like it feels really cool. But it's not rollerblading. Yeah. When you actually grind on your skate, if the trick, if the grind is part of the trick, it makes sense. But if your the whole trick is just a grind, that's not a rollerblading trick. <laughs> Like that's that's almost skateboarding. Yeah. Like this whole grinding, like it's not that's not rollerblading. It's if the roll has to be involved in the trick. So for example, I I kind of started like doing more parkour or whatever stuff with skates, but then and with this as well, sometimes I kind of venture off and I realize okay like this is not rollerblading because the trick like what's the difference of doing it without skates how are the skates make that trick better so if the, if you're um, so like for example using your hands or whatever it makes sense as long as you still use your wheels to make that trick happen yeah if you can do the same trick without the wheels more efficiently more you know then it shouldn't be done on skates like trying to do something that can be done better elsewhere it's like trying to skateboard with your rollerblades on yeah and do a kickflip while you wear your rollerblades it doesn't make sense yes it's really difficult but why would you do it if you can do it better with shoes on that's an interesting way of looking at it it's like like if you're gonna do like a rollerblading trick yeah how how does rollerblading what make is that better like what does yeah. rollerblading bring to that exactly and it, yeah you're right if it's like if it doesn't add anything to it if it's basically the same thing as doing it on your shoes yeah then it's pointless it's silly yeah. it's 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 totally it, pointless it, it's not pointless it's still fun but i think when you capture it and like make a video or an edit that's what I'm thinking about my skating and that's why I haven't been producing anything (laughs) 
because it's uh i don't think those tricks are enough to represent how i would want to showcase rollerblading to yeah uh, like to the public i would want to say like oh look at me like i'm this is really cool because it's rollerblading that's just really unique to rollerblading using like toe rolls and heel rolls like balancing on wheels uh, combined with things like parkour whatever yeah or flips or jumps or airs or even grinds but combined with the act of rolling yeah you know so maybe and I think that's where skating needs to go into that direction where then it would be defined as rollerblading it would be really clear yeah. that's why everyone thinks we're skateboarding because we're we're trying to skateboard Doing on our like, rollerblades we're yeah. trying to do grinds and you know <laughs> people even try to do kickflips with their shadows yeah well no <laughs> but I think I think grinding shouldn't be, not that it shouldn't be, but it it, ha, it cannot be more than like a really small percentage of rollerblading. Yeah, I've always thought that grinding should be a small part of skating, a smaller part of skating. Yeah. Like, like the core of skating is rolling, yeah. it's rollerblading. That's, exactly. And that's what... That's what we do. Yeah. But, yeah, if it's, like, 90% grinds, exactly. It just, we, we... I think, and I say this all the time, but I think, I think rollerbladers are ashamed of rollerblading, in a sense. They, and that they, is shown when they just do, like, tons and tons of grinds. It's like, they're ashamed to just roll. Or they're ashamed to do, like, what would be perceived as a figure skating trick. Or like cones, they don't want they don't want to do cones, or they don't want to just like skate down the boardwalk. They want to basically be doing skateboarding tricks. They want to yeah. roll up, jump, and, and slide a rail or a ledge. Where the cool thing about rollerblading is that you can roll. It's the most efficient tool. Like it's so much more efficient than skateboard or a bike or you're just you know if you were to put take a ninja from back in the day to yeah. choose any extreme sport rollerblading would be the most like efficient sport to it's use so your body and it's it's just unbeatable in so many yeah. ways well maybe if you long distance you know speed yes a bike might be better because you don't get as tired yeah. but for extreme sports to do tricks with your body nothing is more uh, nothing is more designed for your body to do tricks than a pair of rollerblades yeah and that's like what they said in mind game Dustin Latimer that whoever Shane Colburn yeah that every other sport you're using your body to do tricks with your object to manipulate that object yeah so yeah. use your body to make the skateboard do tricks or do the bike do tricks yeah and in rollerblading you use your skates to do tricks with your body and that's i think the main 
just stuck with me. That's a really smart uh, description of yeah. our sport is, or the difference when people ask, oh, what's the difference between this and this? Like, yeah. I'm doing tricks with my body and it took so long for skating to get there and it's still not there, but there's still kids that are complaining that you use your hands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're using like a, a grind plate, like your soul <laughs> plate. Yeah. Why not use, you know, your body, like balance and... Yeah, anyways. <laughs> we were playing ping pong before we started. Yeah, it was really fun. More fun. Really than, fun. More fun than rollerblading. I want to play more ping pong. Yeah, it's really good. You beat me it's five times. Yeah. <laughs> it was close, though. It Every was... game was really close. Yeah. But he still beat me five times. <laughs> but it was really close. Yeah. Yeah. Could have easily been like five nothing my way. Yeah. But it wasn't. Could have been. Do you play squash? Have you ever no. played squash? No. Squash is fun. You would like squash. We'll have to go to gymnastics too. Yeah, I started going again. One of these evenings. Probably go Tuesday. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm doing squash Tuesday. But so you're working. You're working straight. This is Christmas season. This is this is a big season for you, eh? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just working like every day at the store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So people can find you at the shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I'm not working at the shop as much. Working at home? Work. I'm still working seven days a week, but during the week I'm uh, more working from our warehouse. Yeah. My house. Yeah. Um, there's now with two shops, there's... Uh, a lot of work, a lot of paperwork and online and figuring out a lot of our systems and just a different size operation. Yeah. And a lot of projects on the go. Uh, so I feel that my job is changing very quickly. Yeah. It's almost once every few weeks I'm like okay from now on that's my job and then a few yeah. weeks later no now this is my job and trying to so do you ever stop and and, and you're working all the time do you ever stop and and say to yourself like man I'm I'm selling rollerblades like I'm working all the time and my sole purpose in all this is just to sell rollerblades. No, that's that's what I do now. Yeah. Or that's what my company does now. And it will continue to do this, but my purpose 
myself is not to be selling skates. Yeah. Uh, it's to, you know, to help this, to make rollerblading popular. Yeah. Well, that's so, your that's your sole purpose is to. But the, in order for me to do it, like eventually, once the stores are operating and we're just opening stores left, right, and center. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the system sells. You know, it's accessible, and it's affordable. Then I can really do my job, and you know, advertise it and organize events and make that image for rollerblading that I see. Yeah. Or maybe I don't see at the moment, but present it in the proper way to the public and have the power to, you know, to share this. So at the moment, it's just kind of a way to get. Yeah, just a, a way to get there. And yeah. then once I'm there, I'm sure it's never going to be there. But this is what I need to do at the moment to make it popular. Yeah. And that's all I can do at the moment. And uh, that's why all my focus is there. Yeah. But hopefully soon I. the system will run itself and the retail part of it is not going to be any of my business like uh, I'll still benefit from it yeah it's still my baby but uh, I'll just be I think that will be a lot a much more exciting job it's actually playing with it you know having being able to make decisions that affect rollerblading in Canada or even more than that yeah um making decision as to like what skates should be popular in Canada. Yeah. You know, have a decision of like, I think this is a much better product and that's what I want all the stores in Canada to sell. Yeah. And that's the reason is because this company has a good image. Those people, you know, I, it will be a better product to market. Um, I think this has a cooler look or it's more catchy, you know, I don't know. That's exciting. And, and then promote the stuff that needs to be promoted. Yeah. And have the power to push the right companies forward. Yeah. So do you feel good that you're, you're, you're like running the Canadian rollerblading industry? Like you're at the top of it. You're, you're calling the shots. Well, not, not yet. Well... well it, you are I mean to some some degree but I think it's really close to even like with fitness rollerblade with a lot of other aspects of rollerblading that's it's still not fully there like we are but we're kind of not like we are the biggest because there's no one there but we're not yeah. as as good as we can be well, you're building. It's yeah. it's a, it's good that you see this as the beginning because really it is, this is mm -hmm. just the beginning. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you're a young guy. Rollerblading is a young. Not so sport. young anymore. Well, I mean, you're what thirty? Twenty nine. People when they're twenty nine, they they say that they're old. Twenty nine is young, man. Yeah, 29, that's true. 29 is really young. You still have more years ahead of you than you have 
behind you. You like in terms of like you how how old is your shop? Um like almost seven years. Seven years. You've only had a physical almost. storefront for what? Two years? One year? Almost uh yeah, pushing uh, a year and a half. Yeah. Like it's well, the just beginning. More than a year. Yeah. It's the beginning and it's only gonna grow and change and slowly yeah, okay. build. I mean it's it's exciting. Role betting is an exciting thing. It's gonna It is. I mean it has a lot of potential. You obviously see that. You've put your whole life into it. Yeah. You obviously have faith that I mean it'll grow. Yeah, if I didn't, obviously I wouldn't be. Where would your where would your drive be? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, it's the potential is huge. And it's not that, you know, one day it's here now. Yeah. Like I know like the numbers we're doing are really good for there's a lot of people rollerblading. Not aggressive rollerblading, but... Just rollerblading. But uh, me being that, like you said, calling the shots in rollerblading, I would have the power to change those numbers, you know? Yeah. Now it's like 1% of the people aggressive skate. Me being in power of rollerblading in Canada you know, I would have the power to change that 1% to maybe 15% or 10% yeah. by just selling different products. You know, if all the fitness skates all of a sudden were to change from one brand to Seba, for example, that could potentially, people can still go to the skate parks with them. Yeah. That could easily change like a huge percentage of people all of a sudden trying to go to the skate park. So you go to the skate park and you see some people on urban skates or seba skates there's organized sessions all across canada of people like going through like i want to start doing urban fridays that's uh, <laughs> uh so it's every friday i want to have uh and the reason friday because friday night that's where the cool kids go out to the bars and the clubs yeah urban friday is a night where he skates through downtown you know all happy and all those fools are standing in the clubs and yeah. wasting their life just to just shove it in their face like we're having way more fun we're not yeah. spending any money we're way way ahead of you <laughs> in our development in our brain you're standing in a line yeah you're standing in a line and we're so. cruising down the street so the people maybe the people inside that were in the VIP they're not as much of a loser as the guy in the lineup maybe they're, they're having fun but yeah and they wouldn't see us. But if you're one of those lineup guys, you're gonna be <laughs> like, what the fuck am I doing in this stupid lineup? Yeah. Clearly not gonna get laid from that. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, are you standing in a lineup? Yeah. You... What's your deal? Yeah. What are you doing, man? Get some skates. Yeah, and the Urban Friday, I just want people to skate, like skate through the city. Cool. And I haven't had a chance, cause it, so I want to, for next season, we're going to be doing 
Wednesday night, yeah, session at different skate parks. Friday, Urban Friday. Uh, that's for Vancouver at least, which would be skating around downtown through yeah. all the cool districts. Sweet. And just busting things and eating dirty pizza and nice. Just a true, true rollerblade fashion. Yeah. And uh, Sunday we do the sea, sea, we call it sea roll Sunday. So it's a roll around the seawall, Stanley Park. Cool. It's like a ten k fitness skate. Yeah. And we also do cone skating. When when we meet up for the sea roll Sunday, we do cone skating. And we started it this year. It's been working well, but for next season. Um, cone skating I really want cone skating to pick up and um, I think cone skating is a very good it's a very great marketing tool to get people from fitness to understand that you can do more than just skate with your skates that you yeah. can use the same skate to do some sort of tricks or artistic movements yeah cones are fun man. It's fun, it improves you as a skater. If you're just a fitness skater, doing some cones will make you such so much better at skating. Yeah. And you might pick up from that that you enjoy the artistic aspect of it yeah. or the trick aspect of it and might lead you to other more competitive sports like aggressive skating or whatever, cone yeah. skating, urban skating. It's almost like people, people should like learn cone skating or do cone skating before they start grinding yeah definitely you get that maneuverability on your skates Control, before you just start just like jumping on like sliding awareness of where your body is yeah everything so cone skating is uh it's a really good workout too yeah. low impact and it's a it's fun you don't even realize that you're you're working your knee yeah. joints and in your thighs I think that's what a, a tip if some of you rollerbladers sit there and listen to it and respect my opinion <laughs> and believe that I am uh, going in the right direction and you want an advice I would highly recommend to buy a set of cones hell yeah it's really cheap <laughs> you can buy them a chopped task or just whatever, set up some cones, whatever, mark them on the ground and don't just mark it, put some, I don't know, bottles or caps of something and just try to do some cone skating. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that will improve you as a skater. You'll be a lot more balanced. Uh, you'll have way more control. But it, it's tough to stick with it. You just gotta keep on trying. And, and it really it. doesn't feel good in anti-rocker. Yeah. It's to hard, it. a lot harder to, to really turn quickly and it doesn't, it just straight, it doesn't feel as good. Yeah, and if you, if you haven't tried to skate flat yet, you're way, <laughs> you have no clue what rollerblading is if you never skated flat. So, yeah, ultimately, if you have the money, buy a pair of fitness skates. Or a pair of urban skates, or at least get a power blading frame. Um, but I don't know if I'm a big fan of the whole power blading uh, 
I think a skate needs to be designed as a whole piece for one sport or for one genre of skating. I think having a skate with a replaceable frame, one is for grinding, one is for something else. I think the skate, like, start to finish should be designed with the... For with, that purpose. For what you're going to do with it. Because it would depend... Depending on, like, what size wheels you're going to have, you need to, do, to figure out what size... How high the cuffs should be. You know, how much support you actually need for that. What activities you would actually be doing with, it, with that product. So I think power blading is cool, but there needs to be a skate. Power blading is urban skating, and there's yeah. skates out there for urban skating. So putting an aggressive, I think, yeah, I think power blading should be a skate that's fully designed for an 80 millimeter wheel yeah. with more support. And maybe what they have out, what they have now works. Uh, like a carbon skate with the power blading setup. I haven't tried it, so I can't judge. But the fact that there's a power blading setup on Shadow and there's a power blading setup on um, on USD, completely two different skates. Yeah. What's the what are you actually trying? To, what is power blading? I know everyone is. It's a big talk. Yeah. What is power blading? All it is is just big wheels in your skate. Yeah, and once you try on, once you try Sebas. Yeah, and not to talk anything bad about PowerSlide, that's one of my favorite companies, and I, it's amazing that they put the money and the effort to make those frames. Because yeah. other skate companies, like how long? Didn't it's exciting. It's them? exciting to me that you can have like a big wheel setup and 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 it's plastic, so you can still grind. Macchio tricks are gonna slide really good. Yeah. Um, and I it, put the rollerblade fusion. It's nothing new on the market. Yeah. Like I, I was skating those rollerblade fusion plastic frames a while yeah. ago, and I was skating the metal ones before that, like way before. Yeah. Power blading is nothing new. Like Rob G was skating. Uh, with big wheels and was doing macchios on down rails. Yeah. But I think power blading, it's cool that they went all out and actually developed a frame by an aggressive company, wheels by an aggressive company. But still, it's not a complete package. No. The sport is not really defined. Everyone that's power blading, and I think, don't want to sound like a dick, but Everyone that puts out a power blading edit nowadays is trying to prove that they can still do like, <laughs> tricks yeah, yeah. that they do on their regular skates. And it's so much more difficult to do those tricks with power blades, with big frames. That's not what it's for. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like taking a soul plate, like having a skate with a big soul plate, you know, like the shadow, for example, and developing the new shadow with way less space that you almost impossible to lock on grinds and still showing oh but you can still do it look at me i can do all yeah. those fancy tricks but for <laughs> the average user there's no way you could ever do those grinds yeah. so i think the way they market power blading is way off and i'm sorry yeah. it's, a lot of it it's like my friends like dustin or richie um 
but it's not how it should be marketed. Like it, yeah, it's, yeah. Like they're it's, just proving that oh, you can you can still do this tricks. There's the some clips of them going really fast, and it looks fun, but they're not really showing the potential of this. Yeah, and I think they developed an awesome product that but with that awesome product needs to be awesome marketing that really defines that sport because yeah. right now what you look at a picture of power blading some guy doing alley fish brain <laughs> uh, not some guy this uh, can't remember his name it's really good yeah doing an alley fish brain on a rail with bigger wheels so yeah. That's power blading? Oh, sweet. I can put bigger <laughs> wheels and still do the same tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good point, but there's more than that. Yeah. I think maybe bringing back to like big rollings and uh, enriches added a lot of the tricks that were used with power blades uh, were really sick. Yeah. Or like at least he defined, oh, I need power blades to do that trick. But selling those skates, uh, or selling this, or trying to sell it with an edit that just shows, like, hey, look at me, I can still do all those tricks. Yeah. It's not the right way to sell them. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Anyway. Shit. Well, thanks is... for coming over, buddy. Yeah. All two hours, nine minutes. Yeah, we did well. I hope we covered some interesting topics. Yeah. Well, for the listeners, um, visit uh, shop-task.com. Yeah. Check out all the awesome videos and sweet products that Leon is selling. It's What's that? It's a Leon will beat any price. Yeah. Best best price delivery. Yeah, like all the people that listen Canada. to it never yeah. heard of Shop Task. For all you idiots buying shit from the States... You've been told it's cheaper at Shop Task. Yeah, just just help us help you. Yep. <laughs> All right, dudes. All Love right, ya. peace. Peace out. <laughs>